The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, Springs Church. Welcome. Welcome in the name of Jesus Christ to everybody here in this room, everybody tuning in online. We're glad you're joining us, and welcome to all of you. Thank you, visitors, those of you who are here. We're really glad that you're joining us. It's always awesome to see new faces around here. We just had our beginnings lunch that we have periodically last week, and there was just a lot of wonderful new people that are interested in membership, interested in checking things out here, and so we're always excited to have you with us. And I wanted to let you know there's a couple people that will be with us next week. They'll be passing through, but they're not strangers. There are missionaries from Germany. It's Don and Cindy Rohrkassi are going to be with us next Sunday, and they're going to be preaching together here at the Springs. So I hope you'll be here next Sunday, September 5th. It's always wonderful to hear from Don and Cindy. Love them and appreciate the great work that they're doing. And then the Sunday after that, I just wanted to let you know, we'll be getting be beginning a new sermon series. Ben is going to kick off our next series, which will be a four-week series called Reading Scripture. And it's going to be four weeks, a single text each week, so four different texts, asking four different questions of these passages. Questions about God, about the world, about grace, and about ourselves. So I hope you'll be there as well in a couple weeks when Ben kicks off reading scripture together. But this morning, we are winding down the Word of the Lord, a series I always enjoy being in with you, always enjoy when it takes us to interesting places in Scripture. And so I hope to return to this series again as we have in the past. So we're winding down this morning in the text provided by the lectionary, the Song of Songs, chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. The voice of my beloved... Look, he comes leaping upon the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing in at the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. For now the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks this morning for your word. We give you thanks for your living word, Jesus Christ, who lives and is risen and ascended on high. Lord, give us minds and hearts and bodies that love and listen and obey you. We praise you, Jesus, for this good word. I ask you for the gift of preaching, and we ask for the illumination of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for this word, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Reason speaks in words alone, but love has a song. 
There are some fascinating books in the Bible. Last year, as the pandemic was spreading around the globe, Ben and I decided it might be an apt time to preach through the book of Ecclesiastes. And I think it was a pretty good word for that time and place, a word from Ecclesiastes that can be a bit somber, a little bit realistic at times. And I really enjoyed being in that book with you all, but maybe you're like me and you also left Ecclesiastes kind of thinking, how did this book get in the Bible? What is it doing in scripture? And if you think that about Ecclesiastes, You'll think that all the more as you turn the page at the end of Ecclesiastes because when you turn the page on Ecclesiastes, you land in the Song of Songs. And the Song of Songs is another one of those interesting places in Scripture that makes us think, how did this get in the Bible? What is it doing here? Right? This, this book of sensual love poetry Right? The Song of Songs is one of those interesting places in the Bible where we kind of scratch our heads and think, what is this doing in Scripture? And if you're thinking that about the Song of Songs, you're not the first Christian to do so. Christians and Jews have long wondered what this book is doing in the Bible, and it's evidence is especially by the amount of commentaries written on the Song of Songs. In the first thousand years of Christianity, the two most commented upon books in the Bible were Genesis and Psalms. Number three, Song of Songs. Only Genesis and Psalms, heavy hitters, were commented upon, had more commentaries written about them than Song of Songs because Christians were trying to figure out what does this book mean, right? It's an interesting book and it's not just the content but even the form that it takes, right? It's probably the only book in the Bible that consists basically entirely of dialogue, it's, right, it's the dialogue between this man and this woman and then the daughters of Jerusalem, they get sprinkled in here and there. But it's almost entirely dialogue. And in fact, one of the interesting things about it is the prominence that it gives to the woman in the story. It's probably the most prominent central female voice in any book in the Old Testament. It's a very, very interesting book. And in fact, I was even surprised to know that Esther and Song of Songs are the only two books in the Bible that never mention the name God. Never. Not a single time do Esther and Song of Songs ever explicitly say God. So it's no surprise that Christians have taken great care to try and understand this book. All right, and even the early church father Origen forbade people from studying this book until they were at least the age of 30. There was also a second century rabbi, a Jewish rabbi who was asked outright, does this book belong in the Bible? The Song of Songs belong in the Bible. And this rabbi said this, he said, all of scripture is holy, but the Song of Songs is the holy of holies. Song of Songs is the Holy of Holies. And indeed, that title, Song of Songs, comes from the very same Hebrew idiom 
of holy of holies or king of kings, song of songs. That's just a Hebrew way of saying the greatest thing, the greatest song, the song of songs. So we don't come lightly to this holy of holies book this morning. Let me tell you how I think we come to the Song of Songs this morning. I think we come to Song of Songs with gratitude. A moment ago, I read from Song of Songs chapter two. I said the word of the Lord, and you all said, thanks be to God. We come this morning with thanks for this passage of scripture. We come this morning thankful and confessing and believing that it really is the word of the Lord. And we come this morning thankful to explore together what that might mean. And perhaps we might find that Song of Songs is the word we need to tell us in its astounding, evocative, even provocative ways about what God's love really is. Because we might find that reason speaks in words alone, but love has a song. So let's jump into that song in verse eight of chapter two. It says, the voice of my beloved, look, he comes leaping upon the mountains, bounding over the hills. Now before we really get going, I wanna invite you on a journey of reading with me this morning. And the journey of reading that I wanna invite you on is to read the literal text of Song of Songs but to see through that literal to the spiritual, right? Because there's a lot that can be said at the literal level of the Song of Songs, what the literal words are saying. We can learn a lot about humanity and love, right? God's creation. But I want to do, as Christians and Jews have done for a very, very long time, to read through the literal to try and see the spiritual, Right to try and see not just this man and woman and their love poetry, but to read the Song of Songs as an allegory, as a picture, as a picture for the love of God. And I actually think this is a biblical way to read the Bible. Right? I think this is a biblical way to read the Bible because we see Jesus ultimately pointing in this direction. Remember his Bible study on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24? It says that Jesus took all of the Old Testament, he pointed to the Old Testament and interpreted it in light of himself, right? So Jesus took these literal words from the Old Testament that may have meant one thing in that day and time, and he interprets them in light of him who we know is their ultimate meaning. And even Paul, in fact, not just Jesus, but Paul in 1 Corinthians, Paul in Galatians, reads in this kind of spiritual way, right? We see this in Galatians 4. You might remember Paul's talking about Sarah and Hagar. You remember there, Abraham's wife and their slave woman from Genesis 16. And Paul's talking about Sarah and Hagar, and in verse 24 of Galatians 4, he says this. He says, now this is an allegory. These women are two covenants, right? So Paul's not dismissing the literal level of the text, but he's reading the literal and seeing beyond it to the spiritual, seeing a picture, seeing an allegory, a symbol of something beyond. 
So I wanna come to the song of songs the way Christians have long come to it, seeing not just the love of these two lovers, but the love of God and the church. The love of Christ and his people. So let's dive back into verse eight once again. The voice of my beloved, look, he comes leaping upon the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing in at the windows, looking through the lattice. So if this is a song about God and his love for his people, then who is God? God is the beloved. God is bounding over mountains, chasing us down, right? God is, is coming after us, and we, God's beloved, are the church, are the woman in the story. And so God is seeking us out, and we can hear God's voice, but notice there is a barrier between us, right? There is a wall that, that the beloved stands behind the wall, that we can hear the voice, but the vision is obscured. The vision is unclear. So our desire to see God is frustrated. And we know this frustration, don't we? We know this feeling of separation from God. We know this feeling of being finite and how we can't comprehend the infinite, right? We know the feeling of being walled in by sin and death. We know the feeling of being separated, of being unable to see clearly. But notice that the beloved is looking in at the windows, looking through the lattice. Looking through the lattice. Now, we don't know exactly what this lattice would have looked like in the day of Song Song of Songs. But it could have been a net. It could have been a kind of grill or grate over the window. It could have been ornate. It could have been simple. But the basic principle of lattice stands that the image is obscured, right? The image is not clear. And yet, at the same time, what's true of lattice is also true that the light is getting through, that the light is peering through, that even though the vision is obscured, we can start to piece together what might be behind the window, that the light is getting through for us. And it's the same with our relationship with God. We can't see him face to face in unmediated presence, but we can start to piece together the picture. We can look at scripture. That's one of those places where holes are in the wall, where the light of the Lord starts to stream through and be, we're able to kind of gather together this image when we hear his voice and he's looking through the lattice. But then we continue, and in verse 10, we finally get some direct speech. We get the direct speech of the beloved. She says in verse 10, my beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. For now the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. All of us know the harshness of winter, don't we? I know I do. You know by now, I'm from the North Country. It's cold up there. South Dakota, the winters are long. Let me tell you, my senior year of high school, senior prom, May, 
snowed. Snowstorm, senior prom in May. There are long winters up there, very long winters. But you know down here too, and there's the ice of it all in Oklahoma. That's its own separate thing. Winters can be long and cold. And it's not just the cold too, the darkness, right? Winters, the waning light, it's a difficult season at times. We've known the harshness of winters. And in the same way, to varying degrees, all of us have known in our lives winters of suffering as well. Right? We've all lived through difficult seasons of bitter cold. Right? We've all lived through pain. We've lived through winters of longing and separation. Right? We've, we've all lived through days of waning light and nights of bitter cold. Some of you might be in those winters even now. Some of you might still be in a winter. But the picture that the Song of Songs gives us is of God finally coming at the end and God finally saying, now the winter is past. And the picture that the Song of Songs gives then is that if you are still in winter, it's not the end. If you are still in the rain, if you are still in the harshness of that suffering, that's not the end of your story. Because it may be partially now or fully later, but God will one day, in effect, say, now the winter is past. It's over. The rain is over and gone. One of my favorite modern Christian hymn writers is named Sandra McCracken. And you've sang some of her songs. Uh, We we sing a handful of them here at the Springs. And many years ago, she went through a kind of semi-public divorce with her former husband, who was also a musician. And in the album since that happening, you can kind of hear the lament of of broken relationships. You can kind of hear the lament of the fractured world that she lives in. And in fact, in 2018, she released an album called Songs from the Valley. And in that album, it starts with a song called Fool's Gold. And on the bridge, she talks about this picture kind of becoming clearer. She says that the fog is coming clearer now and I am waking up. The light brings out the shimmer of what is fool's gold? What is love? What was fool's gold? What is love? But my favorite message in the song comes from the chorus. In the chorus is she sings these words of hope, but if it's not okay, then this is not the end. And this is not okay. So I know this is not, this is not the end. Because in the end, the beloved is going to say to us, arise, my fair one. Arise, my love, and come away, for the winter is past. But not only is winter past, we find in the last few verses of our text this morning that winter has given way to what it always gives way to, spring. 
In verse 12, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. When the lovers step outside in the book of Song of Songs, they almost always step outside into Eden. It's Garden of Eden imagery outdoors in Song of Songs. Flowers and birds singing, the turtle doves, the figs, its beauty, its fruitfulness, its Eden restored. That's appropriate because one of the main themes, if not the theme of the book of Song of Songs is the repairing of what was broken at the fall, is the repairing of that first disobedience. So we get imagery of new creation, of Eden restored in Song of Songs. But my favorite verse, my favorite line in this little text here actually doesn't have anything to do with foliage or flora. It actually has to do with verse 12 when he says, the time of singing has come. The time of singing has come. The Song of Songs, the greatest song, tells us that when God, our beloved, finally comes to us and says the winter's over, it's time for song. It's time for singing, right? That when we finally experience the eternal fullness of God's spring, we'll be singing the anthem of the redeemed. We'll be singing the Song of Songs to our Creator. Because reason speaks in words alone, but love has a song. One of my good friends and I have been reading through a biography this year of Frederick Douglass. And if you haven't heard of Frederick Douglass, he was born in 1817, Maryland, into slavery. And while he was in slavery, he was able to teach himself basically how to read against his master's wishes. And he was eventually able to flee to the north, to flee to his freedom. And in the north, he was able to become a famed orator, a writer, an abolitionist. And he spent his whole life doing those works. And my favorite chapter in the biography so far, not finished yet, it's really long, but there's a chapter called The Anthem of the Redeemed. And in this chapter, it starts in 1862, and it kind of tells the story of that year through Frederick's eyes, through the eyes of the nation, and even through Lincoln, leading up to Abraham Lincoln signing the Emancipation Proclamation. If you remember from history, this was the proclamation that was signed in September of 1862, but finally took effect in January of 63, freeing some three and a half, four million slaves in America. And leading up to that, we get Frederick waiting upon this day and all the anxiety that that brings. And then we get to see him traveling to Boston on New Year's Day, awaiting that proclamation that had been issued, awaiting it taking effect. And so he goes to this Tremont Temple in Boston, Massachusetts, and there's thousands of people gathered and they're waiting to hear word. They've got runners going to the telegraph office to try and see when this is actually going to be announced. It's 8 p.m., it's 9 p.m., 10 p.m., finally, someone steps into the crowd and says that it's on the wires. 
that's coming through. And someone begins to try and read from the proclamation, but they're drowned out by the joyous celebration of song, of cheer, of hug, of jubilation. And Frederick, in one of his autobiographies, writes looking back on this day, and this is what he said about it. He said, we were waiting and listening as for a bolt from the sky, which would rend the fetters of four millions of slaves. We were watching, as it were, by the dim light of the stars for the dawn of a new day. We were longing for the answer to the agonizing prayers of centuries. Remembering those in bonds as bound with them, we wanted to join in the shout for freedom and in the anthem of the redeemed. The anthem of the redeemed. The time for singing has come. As another musician sings in one of his songs, when the bridegroom comes, there will be noise. But unlike the slaves in America, whose chains were broken, but quickly had to deal with the chains of Reconstruction and Jim Crow, when God finally comes and declares to us that the winter is truly past, that the time of singing really has come, there will be no future winters to face down. There will be no more winters to get through. There will be no more rain to endure. When God finally comes at the very end, we will finally hear the fullest song of eternal love. But here and now, we can only yearn for that. We can only long for that. We can only hint at what that might possibly be like. We don't know what it will be like to really experience love that is unbroken by sin. We don't really know what it will be like to experience eternal bliss, not weighed down with death. All we have is pictures. All we have is song. In fact, N.T. Wright says that it is of course only through imagery, through metaphor and symbol that we can imagine the new world that God intends to make. All our language about the future is like a set of signposts pointing into a bright mist. Song of Songs uses this language of human delight, this language of springtime and anthem to point into the mist of that eternal future when winter is finally past. But here and now, that image remains cloudy. That image remains a mist. And we can hear the voice of the beloved, but we can't make out his face. There is light peering through the window, but the image remains obscured. And yet, here, beyond the lattice of our finite lives, God even now calls out to us and says, arise, my love, my fair one, and come away for winter is past. Even now, 
We hear the echoes of God's future eternity of perfection. God calling out to us beyond the lattice of our lives, saying, arise, my fair one, from the shackles of sin. Arise from the ashes of death. Arise from the graveyard of death. Arise to the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. God says, arise. The winter will be past and my love will reign as an eternal song. Church, let's stand and lift up our song to that God of everlasting love.